Hello, Hawks fans, and welcome to another episode of the Kettlecast with your host, Forrest Willoughby. On this episode of the Kettlecast, we talk about the Hawks games against the Pelicans, Trailblazers, and Bucks, and we talk about the status of the Hawks' 2019 draft picks, which are the draft picks for this upcoming draft. Without further ado, let's get into it. The Hawks went 2-1 and one in the week since the last episode, and they had wins over the Pelicans and the Milwaukee Bucks and a loss to the Portland Trail Blazers. In the win against the New Orleans Pelicans, the Hawks got down early, a theme that would be repeated in their game against the Bucks, but the second unit was able to come in and really solidify the game. Alex Lynn had a wonderful first quarter where he had three three-pointers, and the Hawks ended up putting up 42 points in that first quarter, and never looked back. They outscored the Pelicans in each of the next two quarters and ended up winning the game 130-120. to Trey had a monster game, 33 points, 12-24 from the field, 5-13 of from three-point land, 12 assists, and only one turnover. His turnovers are something that are really going to hold him back. I've talked about how he makes really ambitious passes, something that you want him to keep doing, and that will sometimes lead to big turnover numbers, but in this game, he was able to keep his turnovers under control, ended up with only one turnover. Torian Prince had a solid game. It was another game where he looked very decisive and was trying to get to the basket. He ended up having nine points on two of five from the field, one of three from three-point land, and made all his free throws. He had five assists, though, and one steal and one block, and if he's moving the ball and getting assists, That's exactly where you want Torian Prince to be. John Collins had a little bit of a struggle in this game. He ended up fouling out. He had 12 points, 5 of 12 from the field, 0 of 3 on his three-pointers, and only 7 rebounds, which is not his normal number. He just really could not get going, and that goes to a lot of credit to Christian Wood and Julius Randle, the front court for the Pelicans, who really gave John Collins a hard time. Dwayne Dedman had a really good game, 18 points. He only shot the ball eight times, but made six of his eight shots, two of four from three-point land, and he had nine rebounds. Finally, off the bench, DeAndre Bembry had 18 points, six of ten from the field, five of seven from the free throws, and his free throws are something that if he can get his shot working, and the free throws I think are a good sign of that, he is going to be a very valuable piece for the Hawks going forward. His effect on the game, he was a plus 22. That second unit really did a good job of coming in, and after the Hawks had gotten down 6-14 to 14 to start the game, and it really looked like it was going to be a struggle, they came in and they did an excellent job playing. We also got to see the first of a couple games that Justin Anderson got significant playing time. He only played eight minutes in the game against the Pelicans, but he started the next two games because Torian Prince is sitting out with an injury, And also, Dwayne Dedman has been shut down after undergoing a procedure on one of his ankles. It was a good team victory against the New Orleans Pelicans. The Pelicans weren't starting most of their big players. Anthony Davis didn't play at all. They started a front court of Czech Diallo and Kenrick Williams. I follow the NBA pretty closely. I don't really even know who Kenrick Williams is. Frank Jackson was a highlight for the Pelicans. He had 20 points in 25 minutes, 
and he really kept the Pelicans in it um, at some points in the game. And then Julius Randle is just a guy who gives supreme effort all the time. It's not always great supreme effort, and you can show he sometimes does a little too much in his six turnovers, but he ended the game with 24 points, nine rebounds, and five assists. Him and Frank Jackson were really the only highlights for the Pelicans in this game. Other than Trey um, and DeAndre Bembry, there's not a lot of talk about in this Pelicans game because they were going against a team that is really not playing its best basketball. But to see the Hawks go out, have a slow start, but take care of a biz- take care of business against a team that's not as good as them was very encouraging. They ran into an extremely good Western Conference team in their next game against the Portland Trailblazers. Portland had just come off a tough victory over the Brooklyn Nets in which they lost their starting center for the rest of the year, Yosef Nurkic, to a broken leg. And when a team goes through an injury like that, the team can either feel really sorry for itself or just be so shell-shocked from a devastating injury, or they can be united and really build off the tragedy that happened. And Portland came in and they just took care of business against the Atlanta Hawks. The Trailblazers also didn't have C.J. McCollum, who is probably going to be out the rest of the season until the playoffs. And the Trailblazers are locked into being in the Western Conference playoffs. And so it was really Damian Lillard and Al Farouk Aminu who led the charge for the Trailblazers. Damian had a wonderful game, 36 points on 13 of 25 shooting. He was 4 of 10 from three-point land, and he had seven assists. I mean, he is so under control and can really hit any shot. He was often being guarded by Trey Young, and Trey really had no answer for him. To see Damian Lillard and what he's become in the NBA after kind of being a blueprint of what you'd want Trey Young to be, of course, I think Trey has better passing vision than Damian Lillard. But Damian Lillard came in as a number six pick and is really... He's an all-star point guard, and you could really see it in this game. Al Farouk Aminu, as I said, 17 points and 11 rebounds. And he is such a wiry guy and kind of a quicker guy to play at power forward. And John Collins, who he was going up against, had had himself a good game. He had 20 points, but he only had two rebounds. He, he got bothered by Aminu, especially on the boards. And I think teams are also realizing how much of a motor guy John Collins is on the board and trying to limit how many boards he gets. John had a great game. Trey Young had another great game, a near triple-double with 26 points, 9 rebounds, and 7 assists. He was 1 of 8 from 3-point land. But the Hawks were really never in this game. They gave up. They had another 40-point, almost 40-point quarter. They gave up 38 points to the Blazers in the first quarter and just really could never get back into this game. Portland built up a lead of up to 22 points and it was just a game that the Hawks never were in. And it was good to see after the Hawks had won uh, three games in a row and were kind of feeling good into themselves to see a Western Conference team and a team that's solidly head and shoulders above where the Hawks are play the Hawks and, and kind of put the Hawks in their place. When a team's being led by Damian Lillard, it's going to be tough to win that game, even at home. This was the first game where Justin Anderson started. He had 24 minutes. He was 2 of 7 for the, from the field with 6 points. 
he had two blocks. John Collins also had two blocks. And one thing to look at in these final five games is to see if the blocks keep coming from John. Because after not really being a big blocker in his first season or in the first half of this season, he's really come on, started to throw some monster blocks. And that was the Blazers game. And there's just not a lot to take away from a game where the Hawks were just clearly not the better team and Portland came in and took care of business. The final game was the game the Hawks played against the Milwaukee Bucks. And the Bucks came in and it was unsure whether Giannis would play. And as it got closer to game time, it became clear that Giannis was not going to play. And it turned out that none of the Bucks regulars just ended up playing in this game. And Brooke Lopez was the only starter who played in this game. And the first quarter was insane. The Bucks could not miss. They scored 43 points in that first quarter. They hit a ton of threes. And Sterling Brown himself had 14 points in the first quarter. His career high in the NBA was 15 points up to that point. And he went on to shatter that with 27 points and 9 rebounds. He was just a monster and could not miss. 5 of 10 from 3-point land. I think that the game started the... They hit 10 threes in the first quarter. It, it was an insane uh, showing of shooting. And it seemed like the game was going to be over before it even started. The Hawks just could not get into the game. The Bucks were controlling everything. Again, the Hawks ended up scoring 26 points in that first quarter. In the second quarter, the Hawks came out and scored 42 points. And the Bucks scored 28 points. So at halftime... The Hawks went down. They were only down three points, which was amazing considering that first quarter. Justin Anderson had a a really strong game starting, had 24 points, four of eight from three-point land. He had 12 rebounds, two steals. Trey Young did not have a strong game offensively. He had 12 points. He only had eight points going into the fourth quarter, but he affected the game by having 16 assists. It's really easy to get caught up stat-watching, and going into the fourth quarter to separate from what had happened in the first half. But going into the fourth quarter, it was like, well, I don't know if we're going to win this game, but hopefully Trey's able to take his eight points and get a double-double. I think he had nine assists maybe going into that fourth quarter. Trey, even when he's close to that double-double, he's way more excited to get his teammates involved in the game. Some of the passes he had in the fourth quarter to Alex Lynn for easy dunks and to the bigs. It's just he wants to get others involved and he's going to make the right pass. So that 16 assists really shows how unselfish he is. And he had 12 points, and those 12 points were huge, as we'll talk about later on. But DeAndre Bembry had another big game, 16 points, two of six from three-point land, six rebounds, three steals. Alex Lynn had 23 points in the start now that Deadman's no longer playing. He was three of six from three-point land. One of those to send the game into overtime. He had six rebounds and was a team high plus 11 on the game. John Collins had a solid game, 23 points, 12 rebounds. He was three of five from three-point land, which is encouraging because some of his threes lately have just not been going in. And so for him to be three of five was huge. For the Hawks to survive that first half, the only down three, to take this game into overtime was awesome. 
This was just an awesome game. This was a game on a Sunday at 12.30, so in the middle of the day. Really strong crowd. The Bucks roll out this kind of B-squad, and the B-squad was able to build this huge lead. The Hawks were able to work themselves back into this game, and at the end of the fourth quarter, it kind of looked like that was going to be all for naught, and the Bucks were able to have a lead, really kind of control the fourth quarter, but the Hawks worked their way back, worked their way back. A lot of uh, Trey Young passing, and then the final play, they got a three-pointer in the corner for John Collins. The shot didn't go down. Trey got the ball, and he passed it to Alex Lynn, who buried a three to tie the game and send it into overtime. The Hawks did not get the last shot in regulation. The Bucks had a chance to win it, and the Hawks' defense did not allow the Bucks to score. And then the Bucks were had the early lead in the overtime. The Bucks led the entire overtime except for the end when Hawks stayed in the game again, made shots, and Trey Young hit his little floater on the side, and it looked like the Hawks had the game won. With six seconds left, the Bucks got the ball. They advanced it, and they gave it to Sterling Brown at the top of the key. I will say SMU legend Sterling Brown. He was able to get around DeAndre Bembry. Justin Anderson, for some reason, did not really challenge uh, Sterling on his drive, and Sterling made a layup with 1.1 seconds left. The Hawks call a timeout, but after seeing Trey get another potential game winner and then have another opportunity where this game winner was going to be all for naught, it was really brutal. And the crowd, who I'll give credit to, stayed the entire time and stayed in at for overtime, was really locked in. It was a really good crowd for a Sunday game. I mean, 1.1 seconds, that's not a lot of time. They called a timeout. To Coach Pierce's credit, he called a play using his three young guys. Kevin Herter took the ball out of bounds. John Collins was positioned right by the basket, being guarded by Brooke Lopez. Trey, the play kind of called for Trey to go go get the ball or go up towards the ball. Kevin threw a pass that looked like it was going to try to be an alley-oop to John Collins. Brooke Lopez did a good job defending John, knocked the ball away, but he didn't knock the ball far away. He kind of just hit it out of John's hands, and it fell to Trey Young, who, who had crashed the boards. Trey caught it in the air, and before he came down, threw the ball back up, and it hung on the rim for what felt like forever, and the ball went in. And when Kevin Herter's pass went in the air and got knocked away, the entire crowd thought the game was over then. I mean, one second, your play or what you think is going to happen immediately gets disrupted. It was kind of devastating to see it get knocked away. But, I mean, Trey stuck with it. He got it, and then the, he got the ball up in the air. Immediately, the crowd was back into it, and the buzzer sounds kind of immediately. It was hard to tell live if he got the shot off, but the ball goes in, and everybody went in crazy it was a great scene at at the farm everybody went crazy people giving everybody high fives the entire stadium is just electric of course every big time play like that they're going to review it it was an amazing play and another true game winner for Trey Young and Trey keeps finding himself in these positions the possession before uh, the Hawks were down one they had the full clock available to them they 
kind of went to do a play, and the play never really developed, and the ball just got back into Trey's hands. He was in the paint. He dribbled all the way out, then came back in and just did that floater that he's so good at. He he looked like he was going out to the perimeter, came back, faked it, hit that uh, floater, and that put the Hawks up one. So he had already had one shot that was clutch. And then for the Bucks to come back, make a shot with one second left, 1.1 seconds left or whatever, Trey searches out these moments and finds them, and he delivered again. And it, as much as you want this team to get a high draft pick, and in order to do that, especially with their draft pick with the Mavericks, it might behoove them to lose these games. It's just you can't not cheer for this team that plays hard. Uh, Trey Young is, it might be because he's so young, it might be because he's small, he's a guard but he has just this infectious enthusiasm for the game. And that game winner was just amazing. It gave him another six-year moment. He's been playing all these games. Luka is not playing in the games. He's injured right now. It just kind of keeps this momentum that has been moving forward for Trey Young. And uh, it gets people going to the, the stadium. I've noticed more people buying Hawks gear after wins, but now I'm starting to see one thing that stood out from this game is I saw a kid in a Warriors jersey with a Warriors hat. I don't know why you're wearing Warriors jerseys to a game that has the Bucks and the Hawks in it. He had he had a little bag of Hawks gear with him that he had gone and purchased. And there's just a lot of enthusiasm for this young team. And with John Collins, with Kevin Herter, with Trey Young, a lot of these guys are... You, they show positive emotion on the court and they've built something where people are excited. They stay for the overtime. They get the game to overtime. It's just, it doesn't feel like any game's out of reach with these guys. So the Bucks game was everything you'd want in an NBA game. And although it did come against the Bucks' second unit for the Hawks to have, keep this momentum up and get that win was huge. Uh, so for them to go two and one over this little stretch and really start to finish the season on a positive note for all these young guys, was really encouraging. Now, if you're listening to this, the Hawks are getting ready to play the Spurs, who the Hawks have not beat in San Antonio in 20 years. And a great fact uh, from either Brad Roland or Kevin Chouillard, the great writer for the Hawks, the last time the Hawks beat the Spurs in San Antonio, Dominic Wilkins was starting for the San Antonio Spurs. So hopefully by the time you're hearing this, the Hawks will be locked in a good battle with San Antonio. I'll talk about the possible implications of that game next. With five games left to go in the regular season, we can start to look ahead at the Hawks' offseason. Perhaps nothing will be more important to the success of their offseason than if they get the draft picks right in the upcoming draft. Now the Hawks have five picks that look like will convey to them going into this draft. And after dra- drafting Trey, Kevin, and Omari Spellman in last year's draft, it's highly unlikely that the Hawks draft five players that will be on the roster starting next season. So you could see the Hawks potentially use some of these picks to either move up or trade them to get picks in future drafts. They could also draft some European players or players who are not expected to come over to the NBA right away and hold on to their rights. But I would expect the Hawks to either move up 
or trade for future assets with the picks that they have this year. Now, those picks, if the season were to end today, are the fifth overall pick, the seventh overall pick, the 35th pick, the 41st pick, and the 42nd pick. Now, the 35th, 41st, and 42nd are all in the second round, and the full second round is all determined by the records that you finish the regular season with, and they just go directly from the worst record all the way down to the best record. But the Hawks' first two picks, the fifth and the seventh, will fall in the lottery. Now, that seventh pick is Dallas's pick right now. It's the pick that we got in the trade that sent Trey Young to Atlanta and Luka Doncic to Dallas. That pick is protected one through five this year and also one through five next year. What that means is that if the Dallas pick somehow jumps up to be in the top five, we don't get it. But if it's anywhere else besides the top five, we do get it. Of course, our pick is ours, and that is we have the fifth worst record right now, and so it's the fifth pick. Our odds to move up are we have a 10.5% chance to get that number one spot with our pick. We have a 42% chance of being in the top four. Dallas's odds right now are an 8.2 chance to get the first pick, so a little lower than ours, and a 34% chance, a little over a third, to jump up and be in the top four. Obviously, this can change. There's still five games left, and looking at those five games, the Mavericks have a really, really easy schedule. Well, and easy, I mean they have three games against teams they can probably win, especially after coming off two wins that they have right now. They play the Suns, who may be the worst team in the league right now. And then they also play the Memphis Grizzlies, who are the team that they are tied with in records twice in these last five games. Um, currently, the Mavericks record is 31-46, and 46, and they're tied with Memphis for the sixth worst record in the NBA. And as I said, the Hawks have the fifth worst record at 28-49. So you can say that we're three games ahead of the Mavericks and Grizzlies right now. So certainly we could fall down and be below those two teams, but it would take them losing out, which we know at least one of them is going to win one game because they play each other. So we would have to win out and those teams would have to lose out. It seems unlikely that we'll fall below seven, but it's certainly possible. Now we can't get any higher than five because Chicago, who has the fourth worst record in the NBA is at 21 and 57 and there's just no way we can have more losses and fewer wins than Chicago. Now Memphis has a little bit of a tougher schedule. Their two games against the Mavericks are potentially winnable, but their other games are against the Blazers, the Warriors, and the Pistons, all teams that are looking to get into the playoffs. The Western Conference playoffs is set, so the Warriors and Blazers may not, may be resting, may not be trying as hard. But the Pistons are certainly still trying to get into the playoffs. Those other two teams may have their seeding already set, so they might not have as much incentive to win. The Hawks have a very good opportunity to have two picks that are in the top eight of this draft this year. They could have the number six overall pick from Dallas, and they could have the number one overall pick with their own by winning the lottery. With the new lottery changes... The worst three teams all have a 14% chance to have that number one slot. So us having a 10% chance is not really that different from that 14% chance. But this is the first year with these new odds instead of just the worst team having the greatest chance to have the number one pick. And so really any team can move up. 
and have that get the number one pick, which obviously means you're going to be drafting Zion, and we'll just have to wait and see what happens. I want to thank you for listening to the Kettlecast. I hope that you've been able to get all the information about the Hawks that you wanted to hear. My stats come from NBA.com slash stats and also BasketballReference.com. I got the draft odds from Tankathon.com and some of the information about the picks and the protections on the picks from RealGM.com. If you can like or share this podcast, that would mean a lot to me. And also, if you subscribe, you can find this podcast on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts. And go Hawks!